Um, are we allowed to be honest in church? Yes. Good place to do it, right? Yeah. Okay. What Julie was talking about, bringing your issues, your things to the altar, is I'm going to make a bold statement. Every single one of us sitting here has an issue. Okay. Yeah. None of us are fully arrived in Christ. Okay. If you are, you need to be the one up here <laughs> delivering the word, showing us how to do it. Um, it's a process. You know, we need to, you know, let me ask you this question. Why are you guys here this morning? This is a question I ask myself constantly is why do I come here on Sunday mornings? Is it to hear some nice songs? You know, you've got 10 people up there that put a lot of time and effort into bringing you a worship set. To honor him for his goodness that he revealed yeah. to me salvation. Because of who he is, not because of what I've done, but because of who he is. That's right. Amen. Because of what he's given yeah. me, but what he's already done. Yeah. Amen. Amen. We need to come here with an expectation that he will do it again, that he's not done doing it. And what is it? It's transforming us into the image of Christ. It's making us vessels of his holy word so that we can approach others, so we can be something that other people are attracted to, not to us, but what's coming out of us. You know, the word of God, the love of God. And so if you come here just because you've got nothing better to do on Sundays, we need to talk. Okay? But we need to be coming here with an expectation that we're going to meet the living God. Amen. That we're going to meet our Savior and our Lord. And those of you, well, another question. You'll find I'm going to ask you lots of questions. Last week I gave everybody an assignment. How many of you did your assignment? Please show me your hands. I want this to be active. Okay? All right. So what I asked everybody to do is to read Matthews chapter 5, 6, and verse, or in chapter 7 up to verse 23. So those of you that did it, thank you. Those of you that did not do it, do it next time. Okay? Yeah. We need to be in the Word of God. We need to be understanding what God wants for us. And that's the whole reason that we're here is to find what God wants for us, to be changed into His image, and to lean on Him. One of the scriptures that I will eventually get to is in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, and he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? But do not do the things I tell you to do. And what is a Lord? I mean, if we were in England, we would all be very familiar with what a Lord is because of the monarchy system they have there. If you call someone Lord, you're saying, You have all authority. You have power over my life. And so if we're going to stand at the altar, in your prayer closet, wherever it happens to be, and say, Jesus, you're my Lord. Do you really mean it? You know, will he stand on the day of judgment and say, you called me Lord, but I did not know you? Okay, that's going to be a sad day. That would be terrible. That's terrible. Okay? We want to be able to say that when we call him Lord, it's true. It's a statement that we can say with just all of our being that you are my Lord. And that you have all authority. You have permission to speak into my life and tell me the things that I'm not doing that are honoring or pleasing to you. Yeah. Illuminate those things in my life that are not pleasing to you so that I can change them and give them over to you. So that I can become more that radical vessel that Jesus wants us to be. Yeah. He doesn't want us just to be a vessel in the house of the Lord. 
He wants us to be a radical vessel that changes people's lives. So the reason that I ask you to re, you know, read all those verses, 103 verses, if you counted them up, I did, is 103 verses, 15 verses a day if you had done it since last Sunday. And you're familiar with this. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's the Beatitudes. But what it is, it's a, Jesus was setting a foundation for something. Okay? And if everybody sees the image up on the screen there, Building Life on the Rock, that's our series, the theme that we're going to be carrying over the next few weeks, next month. Depends on how much God downloads to us. So we want to build life on the rock. Um, anybody seen this lighthouse before? No. Anybody know where it's at? No. Okay. Say my wife knows because we've been there. This is a lighthouse. It's called Tillamook Rock Lighthouse. It's in Oregon. And I want you to keep this image in your mind as we go through this teaching. Is. Um, you know, lighthouses themselves are you know, a fascinating little study that we can do another time. But um, keep this image in your mind that as we talk about building life on the rock. So as Jesus was going through the Sermon on the Mount, you know, he had been already preaching. He had you know, come out of the wilderness and the temptations, um, started teaching, started casting out demons. And then you get to Matthew chapter 5, and there's multitudes gathered because they've been hearing rumors of this great teacher, this man that's doing things that have never been done before. And so they gather, and he starts teaching them, starts speaking to them. And the first part of Matthew chapter 5 is the Beatitudes. You are blessed in these things. You're peacemakers. Um, I'm not going to go through each one of them. You guys all will read them. Okay. Those of you that didn't, again, you will read them later. Verse 13, it says, we're the salt of the earth. Okay. Any of you ever had a wound and you get salt in it? Or a tear in it? You know, if you get a cut on your cheek, and does it feel good? Okay. Part of the purpose of a salt is it's a disinfectant. It'll help clean out a wound. It's also a preservative that we're to be preserved in the things that Christ has done for us and in us. So we are to be the salt of the world, and salt can be irritating. And this is one of the things a lot of people don't like is in John 8, 32, it says, Before the, the, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, right? Yeah. Everybody likes that verse. But one of the things that we don't always take into account is if I speak a truth into your life, and I'm going to do that, I'm going to ask God to just allow me to speak truth into your life, and a lot of times the truth will irritate you. Anybody ever experienced that? You read a passage, somebody speaks a word, it's like, it'll just make you bristle. It's like, oh, I don't like that. Okay. So before the truth will set you free, a lot of times it'll offend you. It'll irritate you. But that's the salt in the wound, bringing it to the healing point. So we are to be that. We're to be the salt of the world. We're also to be, you know, in verse 14, it says we are to be the light of the world. You know, Christ shining through us. We are to be the light of the world. And what's one of the comparisons that Jesus uses is that we've got the kingdom of darkness and we've got his kingdom, right? So the kingdom of darkness is anything that is not allowing Jesus into its presence. And so we are to be part of that kingdom of light, his kingdom. So when we walk into a room and we walk into an area that is dark, the light of Christ, the love of Christ should be what's shining out through us, and it's going to push back the darkness. Okay? We are to be that. 
And so if we come here on Sunday mornings, we hear the word of God, and we leave here and we don't live it, what have we done to our light? We've put a basket over our head. We've snuffed it out. We've done something to say the world can't handle the light of Jesus. And if you've been you know, in a cave, you know, anybody ever gone cave exploring? One of the things they always do when you are in a cave exploration is they shut the lights out on you. Okay? So that you can experience pure darkness. And you're in the cave there, and your eyes are trying. You, your eyes are constantly searching for light. And so your eyes are, you know, the you know, pupils are as dilated as they possibly can be, trying to allow any bit of light in there. And so then they're always nice, and they pop the lights back on. What do you do? Okay, you cover your eyes, you squint, because it's, it's, it's just overbearing. And so the light that we bring to people, it's going to do the same thing. If we're illuminating into their darkness, at first it's going to make them cringe and pull back away from us. But we are to be the light of the world. And what, part of the passage, he says, we're to be the light of the world. And a city set on a hill, you can't ignore it. Right. You know, we're sitting on a little bit of a hill right here in you know, Russell, Pennsylvania. This place is to be a city on a hill. That we're shining the light of Christ, the love of Christ out among this darkened world to draw people to us, you know, like a moth to the flame, you know, different story for the moth, you know, they go into the fire, they're dead. <laughs> but we're to be drawn people to the kingdom of God because of how we live our lives, how this church lives its life out as a corporate body. So we are to be that light of the world. Um, go on into verse 21, it says, the law says, do not murder. You know, if you read back in Leviticus, the Old Testament, that was one of the commandments, you know, you shall not murder. Jesus gave us a higher standard. He says there's more to the law than just don't kill somebody, don't murder somebody. He goes on to say that, you know, if you even have anger in your heart, it's just like you've murdered that person. So a higher standard that we're called to. Verse 23, it says, don't bring offering to God if you're offended with your brother. So, and I'm going to correct Julie very slightly. The, the altar is not closed. Okay? I didn't You said you have one more chance. <laughs> okay? Okay? God has... Thank you. Okay? And I seriously say that, that the altar is always open. Whether it's during the time that they're bringing the worship songs, the praise songs, even if it's during the word, when it's being delivered up here, if God convicts you, don't hang on to whatever he's showing you. Bring it to the altar. Bring it to him and let it go. I saw one of you this morning. You actually came up and you laid something down on the altar right here. That's what we need to do. It's symbolically, that's what it is. Whatever God is showing you, whatever he's illuminating that needs to change in your life, don't hang on to it. Bring it and drop it at the feet of the cross so that you don't leave here the same as you came in. That's why we come here on Sunday mornings. Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, when, whenever it happens to be. Anytime you enter into the presence of God, you should not leave it the same as you came in. If you do, you're missing something. that You're not fully allowing him to teach you, to talk to you. So at the end of the service, we're going to open the altar up again. Again, it's open up right now. You know, don't ever let me say that the altar is closed. But at the end of the service, we're going to give everybody an opportunity to continue laying down what you may have already started laying down, or those of you that may have been hesitant because the song was coming to a close and there was no more time to run up here. 
is the altar is going to be open up for you to come and lay down your burdens, to lay down your issues that God may be speaking to you as we go through the word here this morning. So it's about changing ourselves. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us so that we don't leave this place the same as we came into it, so that we can look back on a year from now and say, I'm different. God's used me in ways I never imagined. He's going to use this church in ways that we've never imagined because as this body grows up and grows together, we're going to have a power and a light that's going to draw people from far away. Amen. Okay? That was one of the purposes of a lighthouse, is that they were there to warn the sailors of certain hazards or of where things were. And so sailors would be going, and they would be looking for the light to give them an idea of where they were at that time and where they should be. You know, obviously, you don't want to be too close to this thing and you know, run into those rocks. But the Word of God is that same thing. It's guiding us. It's showing us the directions that we need to go. Um, I want to focus on verse 11 right now in Matthew chapter 5. So if you've had your Bibles open, um, chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Blessed are you when people insult or revile you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Christ. Okay, verse 11 by itself is, you know, kind of eye-opening. You're blessed when people revile you or insult you. You're blessed when people persecute you. And you're blessed when they say false things, evil things against you because of Christ. I mean, there's a couple words in there that we have to take into the whole meaning of the word. Is it, if people say evil things against you because you're doing evil things, you're not blessed. Okay? The important word in that part of it is falsely, is they say things falsely against you. So if we're living according to the gospel, if we're living for Christ and people want to say things evil against us falsely, then we're blessed because we're following what Christ has told us to do and what he's made us to do. And so in verse 11, he's talking about that blessing that... Um, you know, when you're persecuted, when you're having evil spoken against you. And if you go all the way to verse 44, this is the shift that Jesus was trying to bring into the disciples' lives. Is if you read in verse 44 again, keep in mind in verse 11, it says that you're blessed if you are insulted and persecuted and spoken evil against falsely. In verse 44, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay. So Jesus is calling us to a higher standard, to a different way of thinking and living. Is in the old way of thinking, somebody hates you, they're your enemy. And in the Old Testament, your enemy was to be destroyed. Okay? New meaning, new level of understanding is those that persecute you, you're to pray for them. Why would you pray for somebody that's persecuting you? Because they need it. Okay? Their heart needs to be changed, right? If I stand up here and I speak evil against any of you, my heart needs to change. Okay? Um, and that's one of the things I will tell you right now, if we're allowed to be honest, is that I'm very humbled to stand up here before you today and any of the other times and bring the word of God to you. Because this is not something I take lightly. This is something that the word of God is powerful. It's something that brings life to people. And so if I can stand up here and speak God's word and it gives you motivation, if it gives you an area that you understand you need to bring repentance in, 
that's why we're here. That's why we're allowing God to use us to say things that may not be comfortable to say. You know, before you, the truth sets you free, sometimes it's got to offend you. That's the true statement. I know I've been offended many times in my life when people have spoken truth into me. But that's what it takes to get our attention sometimes. So you know, allow Jesus to, be the, to bless you, you know, as these things are saying. Um, go on into chapter 6 of Matthew. What I want to point out is this, is when Jesus says things, when he makes his commandments, they are not suggestions. They're not saying, I hope you do these things. No. Okay? So, it's, I'm going to say, it's not optional. So, when you read in verse 2 of chapter 6, so when you give to the poor, is that an option? He says, when you give to the poor. Not if you want to, not if you feel like it's a good day to do it. When you give to the poor, verse 5, when you pray. Okay, so when should we pray? Always, right? So is prayer an option? No. Jesus is saying these things because he's saying these are the things you need to do to build your life on the rock. Yeah. Okay, they're not optional. When you pray. And he says, don't do it for show. It's you talking to the Father, my paraphrase there. Verse 14, he says, to forgive others. Okay, and this is a pretty important one. As you forgive others, your heavenly Father forgives you. Yeah. Okay. Verse 16, a lot of people don't like this one. When you fast. Okay, so when is fasting an option? Jesus says, when you fast. So that means he's implying that it's something you do as you walk out the Christian life, as you walk with him. Verse 24, you cannot serve two masters. That's a pretty succinct one. Who's our master? Who's our Lord? Okay. If we say that Jesus is our Lord, that's our master. And he says right here, you can't serve two masters. So anything else in your life that's taking a precedent or taking your time and energy away from serving Christ... That's your master. So is it your job? Is it your finances? Kids? Whatever it happens to be. If you're serving something with your heart more than you're serving Christ, you're serving another master. So we're warned not to do that. Um, verse 33, the culmination of it all. He says, seek the kingdom of God and he'll take care of us. You know, pretty, pretty simple statement there. Chapter 7, you know, repent of your sins so, you're loving, so you can lovingly help your brother see his own sin. That's a paraphrase of mine. Um, verse 12, you know, a lot of people refer to this as the golden rule. Treat people the same way you would like them to be treated. You've all heard that in one way or another, right? Okay. If you want people to show you love, what do you have to do to them? Show them love. If you want kindness, be kind. You know, Jesus is pretty simple, isn't he? Just do these things that I say, and life, as you know it, will change drastically. Verse 15, it says, Beware of wolves in sheep's clothing, and you'll know them by their fruit or the lack of it. And that's an important thing, that as the body of Christ, as we grow, wolves in sheep's clothing will come in. Yeah. Because if God is moving in this place, it's also going to draw attention of the adversary. You know, the forces of darkness that do not want to see the body of Christ get healthy 
and start doing what it was created to do. So we have to be aware of wolves in sheep clothing coming to disrupt and, you know, steal the fruit of what God wants to do here. So all of this being said, these 103 verses that I just kind of skipped through pretty quickly there, why did Jesus give us all those? They're a good teaching, right? I mean, if you can do those things, you're going to be a different, you're going to be a better person. Okay. The key to this, and the reason I ask you all to stop reading at um, chapter, excuse me, yeah, chapter 7, verse 23, is because in verse 24 is the crux of the matter. That Jesus taught all of those things, and he said, and I'm actually going to skip to Luke 6 for part of this. In Luke 6, 46, Jesus asks them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I've said? And again, the Lord is someone that has total authority and power in your life. And in Luke, it's just Luke's account of the same thing, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. But in Luke 47, or 6, 47, Luke takes a little further and he says that Jesus points out three things. You need to come to me. You need to hear me. And you need to do what I've said. Okay. So every one of you came through the church doors today. So you've come to hear Jesus, right? Okay. I'm speaking the words of God. I'm reading out of the Bible. So you're hearing the words of God. That's not enough. You need to be doers of the word. Yeah. And we're told in James um, chapter 1, you know, <laughs> do not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. James reiterates what Jesus had already spoken in Luke and Matthew. So Jesus' whole point and where he goes on in Luke 46 and 47 here, he says, the people that come to me, hear my words and do them. And this is where he gave the example of the two men, the two different builders. And I want you to understand then, if you could put the lighthouse picture back up there, is that Jesus gave two different examples of people that were building houses. The one man decided to build his house on a rock. The other one built his house where? Okay. In the Greek, one of the words that's used in both of those instances is oiko. And it means house building. But when you read the actual meaning of the, the word in Greek, it actually goes even a little further. It's something that you are building that you plan on having stand for a long time. Something that you, you know, I'm going to add a little bit more to it possibly. Is it something that you're building in such a way that you want to be able to leave it as an inheritance? Okay, so both of the men that Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 6 built nice houses, built solid houses, things that they thought would be passed on to the next generations. So the difference was what they built on. And I want everybody to close their eyes for a moment. Okay, pretend you're at the beach. <laughs> Can you hear the waves lapping? Okay. <laughs> don't, don't go in too deep. All right. So you're standing at the surf line. You're standing on dry sand, compact, firm sand. You're all standing there. You're solid. What happens when the first wave comes in around your feet? Okay. The stand, sand starts to shift and sink. So you, if you stand there long enough, you're going to lose your balance because what you had as a solid foundation when the sand was dry and compacted, the water starts coming in and washing your foundation away. 
So your footing is no longer stable and you have to rebalance yourself. Okay? I want to take and go back to the other man is that he built his house on the rock, right? And I want you all to look at the picture, wherever you're looking at, is if they had just built that lighthouse on top of the rock. Yeah. You know, just like my Bible is sitting here on top of this. Okay. That's a lot more solid than if this was a sandy pulpit area, right? What happens if I just built my house on the rock and a wave comes like that? Okay, eventually, no matter how heavy that thing is, water's powerful, it's going to come down. So what I want you to understand with the teaching that Jesus gave here is it's not so much as building on the rock, it's being anchored into the rock. Okay, when they built this thing, they actually had to you know, demolish part of the structure because it was a rounded you know, rock off the coast of Oregon there. They actually had to level it off, and then they drilled into the rock. They sunk anchors down into the rock so that that building that was being constructed for the safety of the mariners, it would remain on the rock. It would remain in the rock. And so it's not so much as just building your life on the rock. We've got to sink our roots into the rock. We've got to anchor ourselves into the rock. And that's what all of Jesus' teachings were in those previous 103 verses was, this is how you get anchored into me. This is how you take your life and anchor yourself into the rock. Um, if you could put the Lalabella slide up there. And this is a, you know, has anybody ever seen this before? No. Okay. This is actually a church in eastern Ethiopia. It's called Lalabella. And in the, 11th, in the 1100s, King Lalabella of the eastern kingdoms of Ethiopia built these churches and this is a, this is another visual picture i want you to hold on to is it's not so much as building on the rock that we need to accomplish what they did here in lalabella is the um, jerusalem the holy land had been taken over by the muslims so pilgrimages to the holy land were no longer happening or they weren't safe for christians to journey to the holy land and so king lalabella decided well we're going to make a new jerusalem we're going to give another place for people to come and worship and so what he had his workers do is it's obviously a very rocky region of eastern Ethiopia here. And they actually chiseled down. They actually burrowed into the rock there. There's an overhead view. And that structure, the church that you're seeing right there, is hewn out of solid rock. Wow. Okay. So not only is that church built on the rock, it's integral. It, you know, it's part of the rock. So that's what we need to be. We need to be so anchored into the rock that we can't be shaken. That's one of the things it says in Luke 46 and 7 there is that when the waves came, it did not even shake because it was so embedded in the rock that it could not be moved. And so as we read in verse 46, um, excuse me, verse 47 and 48, when you've done those three things that you've come, you've heard and you're doing the things that, got, that Christ has instructed us to do, he says, you're like a man that dug a foundation deep into the rock. You know, that's the difference I liked between Matthew and 6, is Matthew just said he builds the foundation on the rock. Okay? Luke goes a little deeper, literally, and he says, he dug deep and laid the foundation in the rock. And just in our own lives, sometimes we have to dig through the muck and the mire, the stupid things that we've built as our foundation. I mean, any of you 
you know, every single one of you to some degree knows what I'm talking about, is I didn't come to the Lord until I was 24. And so I had a lot of stupid things in my foundation, a lot of ungodly things that I had built my life on that other people had spoken into my life. And so my foundation was not good. I had a shoddy foundation, if you will. And so I had to dig through, I had, you know, through the work of the Holy Spirit, I had to dig through all the things that I thought were my foundation to get to the true foundation, to get to the, you know, the rock yeah. that I needed to embed my life in. Amen. And so he said that, you know, the, it's not just as, you know, being on the rock, it's being in the rock. That's the important thing. So don't just build on top of it. You know, use cement, use anchors, you know, whatever it takes. You drill holes into the rock and anchor yourself firmly to that. And then in verse 48 of Luke 6, Jesus goes on <clears throat> and says, when the floods came, we're back to one of those words that when the floods came, so do you get a choice about the floods? Are they optional? When the floods came, Jesus said, they beat against the house. Vehemently is the one word that's used in one of the translations. And vehemently says, you know, it's an intensity. It's a powerful force. So when the floods come, they're going to beat against you. They're going to try and knock you down. Um, a couple quick verses. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you. John 16.33 In the world you shall have tribulation. So Jesus has warned us in Matthew and Luke. Peter and John are warning us. Things are going to come in your life. You're going to get beat up. You're going to have things. Storms are going to beat against you and try and shake you to knock you off whatever foundation you've built your life on. So if we're built on the rock, we're solidly anchored. It cannot shake us. So if there's been times in your life that you've been shaken, God's showing you you're not anchored into me fully. So whatever area of your life that you've been shaken in recently or that you know is unstable, bring it to the altar. And ask God to rebuild that foundation to show you how to anchor into that part of your life that's weak. So what kind of floods do you guys have in your lives? I mean, some of it, we could literally have a flood, right? That could knock your house down, that could tear up your property. Um, two years ago, right about this time, we had a tornado come through our literal backyard in Starbrook. Knocked a few things down, knocked around some houses. So those are the kind of storms that are pretty obvious, you know, again, looking at the picture up there, you know, that's a pretty awesome storm breaking over that little island, right? But what about the loss of a job? Is that a storm? Loss of a loved one, disobedient children, disobedient spouse. Are all those things storms that can beat against us and try and knock us off our foundation? We need to be anchored so firmly in the rock that when these st when storms arise, when floods arise, and we're promised that, that if you're following Christ, tribulation's coming. But if we're anchored in the rock, we'll be able to weather the storm. It goes for it goes from the top to the bottom, bottom to the top. It starts with the individuals. That's why I'm speaking to you, each one of you individually, is we, let me change that from we, I have to be anchored in the rock. If I'm anchored in the rock, that's going to influence my family. If I'm anchored in the rock, that's going to influence you as I bring the word to you. 
you know, as AJ and, you know, the worship, Julie bring the, you know, the worship team brings that, they need to be anchored in the rock to bring this to you in a holy way. So if the church can become anchored in the rock and that we're going to continue on, this is going to be a series that we're going to be teaching on, is I believe Jeff bringing the word next week, and he's going to be talking about the church being, building life on the rock, building the church on the rock. If the church can truly be anchored in the rock, so when storms come against this place, we're not going to be shaken. We're going to be able to withstand the storm. And if this church can remain anchored, be that city on a hill that brings hope to this area, that's going to change this region. If we can change this region, if we can you know, band together with other bodies of Christ that are founded on the rock, embedded in the rock, this whole area is going to change. And this country was founded on the rock. I mean, there's so many examples of it. You know, how many of you, you know, I know a lot of you, especially you younger ones, don't carry cash or money anymore. Okay, it's all in the little debit cards or whatever. What do our coins say on them? You know, our bills say the same thing. In God we trust. Okay, what about the star-spangled banner? Has anybody ever led or read through the entire poem that Francis got key? One of the, the, probably the third to the last stanza or line in the star-spangled banner, it says, in God is our trust. And because the Star-Spangled Banner is the official anthem of the United States, it's actually an official document of the federal government. And if you, read, if you ever go to Washington, D.C., you'll see all kinds of references to biblical verses. So this country was founded on biblical principles. That if this, the reason this country has remained what it is, a city on a hill to the world, is because we were anchored into the rock. We're still anchored in the rock. It's been eroded, obviously. We won't go into that a whole lot more. But I want to share something. Um, back in 1979, there was the current governor of California announced that he was running for president. Okay, Those of you that are old enough, who was the governor of California in 1979? Okay, Ronald Reagan. We all know he became president. Um, this is what he said as he was announcing his run for the presidency. I believe this nation hungers for a spiritual revival. Is that true today? Amen. Government should uphold and not undermine those institutions which are custodians of the very values upon which civilization is founded. Religion, education, and above all family. He said those are the three things are what you know, civilization is founded on. Religion, education, and the family. What things are being attacked? Ronald Reagan goes on to say, We who are privileged to be Americans have had a rendezvous with destiny since the moment in 1630 when John Winthrop, standing on the tiny Arabella off the coast of Massachusetts, told the little band of pilgrims, We shall be as a city upon a hill. Yeah. Quoting from the Bible. And so I want us to, you know, we, we're adopting that. We are to be a city upon a hill. This church, each one of us are to be a city upon a hill. And Ronald Reagan goes on to say, the all, eyes of all people are upon us, so that if we shall deal falsely with our God in this work we have undertaken, and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, we shall be made a story and a byword throughout the world. A troubled and afflicted mankind looks to us, pleading for us to keep our rendezvous with destiny. 
Is our destiny to come here on Sunday mornings, say hello to a few people, hear a couple good songs, and go home and just go about our business? Okay. Our rendezvous with destiny is to become that city upon a hill where we're transformed ourselves and where because of the transformation that's come into us, the world is transformed. Is that a lofty statement that Russell, Pennsylvania can help transform the world? Okay. In Christ, we can do all things. There's nothing beyond his power if we allow him to work through us. But it starts with being built on the rock, being embedded in the rock. So I'm going to close now. <clears throat> but what I want to do this morning is, again, I want a show of hands, and I want everybody to close their eyes again. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, He is your Lord. Let me repeat that. He is your Lord and your Savior. I would like everybody to put their hands up if that's true of you. If you have that true personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're embedding yourself into the rock. Thank you. If you cannot say that this morning, I want to read a couple scriptures for you. Romans 3.23. It says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of the God glory of God. So even though all of us sitting here that did raise our hands this morning, all of us are sinners. There's no one sitting in this room that is not a sinner that did not need to come to the revelation that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and that I need to repent of my sins and make my life right with him. Romans 6.23 says that if you are a sinner, the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. It's not just physical death he's talking about here. It's if you do not have Christ as your Savior and he's cleansed you of your sins, your destiny is eternal separation from God. But we have hope in what 1 John 1.9 says. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you're sitting here this morning and you've never asked Jesus to cleanse you of your sins and to make you righteous in his name and through his blood, then the altar's open. It never closed. It never closed. It never will close because the altar is Christ. So if, and I'm going to ask the elders to come up here this morning, is if you want to pray, if you want to confess your sins, it says bring it to the elders. So those of you that are elders, please come up. But also, I don't want it to just be exclusive. The altar is open for anybody that has the issues that we talked about at the beginning. Like Julie said, if you're sitting here with no issues, you are going to be the one that's up here next week. Okay? Because you're the one that needs to be teaching how that's accomplished. But if you're having trouble in your marriage, if you're just going through the motions even, if you come here on Sunday morning just because this is what you do on Sunday as tradition, as ritual, if you're just going through the motions... Come to the altar and ask God to forgive you for that. You know, if you're not satisfied with your current walk with Christ, if your children aren't serving the Lord, whatever the issue is, bring it to the altar and don't leave here with it today. So remember, we need to be built into the rock. We need to embed deeply into the rock so when the storms come, 
it's not going to shake us. It will not move us because Christ is a solid rock and he is immovable. There's nothing that can shake us as we are in Christ. So, as you need to, come to the front. Let's lead us into the song. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your blessings. We thank you that you have given us the word of God to change our lives, to give us the directions that we need, and that you teach us how to embed ourselves into your life, to become immovable in Christ, to become so firmly anchored into the rock that we would be just like the churches in Lalabella, that we are part of the rock, and that there's nothing that comes against us that will shake us or move us. In all these things, we give you the glory and the honor as we move forward into the destiny that you've created each one of us individually for, and also what you've made this body to be part of. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.